All right, loves. So we're sort of in this moment of um, peeking our heads out of the turtle shell, the protective turtle shell of the pandemic. And it's occurred to me, um, it's, I mean, it's been occurring to me, but especially recently having left town for one of the first times for an extended amount of time, um, during the pandemic, how much that context is so important. I'm taking some other online, um, trainings and courses and things just like keeping up with my study as a teacher so that all of this, um, work that we do together can stay infused with um, me having a very full cup, right? And I notice that in some of the trainings and whatnot that the context of the pandemic is absent and it feels so inappropriate, <laughs> to be quite honest, <laughs> um, because we're all a little bit fucked up. This my takeaway from my travels is that we're all a little bit fucked up from this. <laughs> and that that's okay, that that's okay. Um, so my, a couple of girlfriends and I drove down, um, to the Utah desert and it's a really, it's just so rich there in it's nothingness and it's expansiveness. There's this beautiful red rock everywhere and these views that don't end. Right. And sometimes you can see below the earth and then some mountains on the horizon line and then also just this big flat plane so you're seeing a lot at once right it's there's this big wide lens of perspective and um on the way down I had so much anxiety like that panic attack kind of feeling of the my chest tightening and not wanting to go and like everything might fall apart if I'm not here to control it and um, to keep manifesting the energy <laughs> of like growth, you know, I was texting Anna and being like, is everything okay? And she's like, yeah, dude, calm down. Um, and we get there and all of this perspective is happening and this true, like real true, like settling, <sighs> right. starts to happen. And one of the things that I noticed in the desert, I mean, Y'all, it's it's like not much life, but a huge demonstration of how long this earth has been around, right? Of how long this earth has been around, like layer after layer after layer after layer of like becoming just on display. And in the midst of it all are these juniper trees. And if you haven't seen a juniper tree, you should totally go Google it because they're, they're just gorgeous. And what they look like are these sort of like, um, they look like they're growing up out of rock and then their trunks are twisted. So they seem to be growing in this spiral formation and all of their branches were like this. And we were sort of, sort of joking the three of us about what, um, questions that we had for Siri when we got back into range. And one of the questions that we had was why do the juniper trees grow in swirls like that? And we were making some guesses like about wind and water. They, they really truly have this mystical quality about them that, um, in the midst of this like 
sort of wonderland where you're in awe and feel just so small, you know, um, which I actually think that having that perspective of feeling um, in awe and in wonder and like we don't know is so important to our practice. And so there's this way in which when we travel that we um, awaken that place in us that is innocent, right? And that innocence is always connected to the largeness that exists inside of us that is really, truly um, love. So how can we like put ourselves in situations where we get to connect with that innocence, with that expansiveness that is inside of us, right? That doesn't need to know, that doesn't need to grasp. And so we were keeping this running. It was a joke, but like, and but also kind of not like, what is the symbology of a um, raven? You know, why does the juniper tree do this? And so when we got into reception and we were on our way home, we were sort of looking up these things and telling, explaining them to each other. And um, as road trips go, you know, it's silly. And which is also a very important thing, I think, for right now in the context of the pandemic and peeking our heads out is to remember how to be silly, you know, how to be childlike and innocent. Um, It's just it's beautiful uh, and freeing and liberating to do that. (laughs) And so I looked it up and here's some things that I learned. Um, Okay, so a these trees appear to grow my loves, out of like rock, which just seems like inexplicable. And they have a taproot, which I've read varying accounts, but can go, a taproot is like the big root that anchors the tree down into the earth that can grow between 25 and 40 feet deep, right? Which is so, so huge. And then the roots that go outward to communicate with other trees and to find water they can grow up to a hundred feet wide, right? So there's this, you're starting to get it probably, but there's this truly anchored root system that is happening inside this rock. And the trees live to be sometimes over a thousand years old, but they grow very, very slowly and carefully and incrementally, right? So despite the fact that there might be this huge, huge root system in the earth, right? That there might have very little to show above the earth. So sometimes trees that are 50 years old might be just a little bit shorter than I am, right? Which is just wild given what's going on underneath. And they conserve water right, by self-pruning. So they'll like kill off parts of themselves that they no longer need anymore, right? Like there's not enough water right now, so I have to conserve so that branch has got to go, which is such an ultimate wisdom takeaway. (laughs) I think, you know, of like shedding what we no longer need not so that we're not continuing to grow, but so that we can continue to grow, right? Which is so beautiful. And that swirling of the bark that makes them look like these gorgeous witchy trees, they do that because they're moving with the wind, right? And so they swirl, and in the swirling, they get stronger, and the wind kind of makes them do it. And then they're not going to be so... um, 
susceptible to being blown over because of this swirling formation. And it makes it so that none of the trees look alike. Each one is almost this unique sort of um, art package that gets to happen. I, I want like photographs of them everywhere. They're so amazing. And oftentimes they provide the only shade in the desert, the only shade, right? And they will grow oftentimes like close to, they'll have like a little like pack of them, which I just learned this about trees. I'm really into trees right now. Um, I just learned this about trees that they like to grow together, right? And so you may have noticed that in forests that have been um, forested, especially if you're here in Oregon and harvested, the way that the loggers then go back in and replant, the trees will often be far apart from one another. But if you go into a natural forest, and it's one of the ways we can just tell visually that the trees will sort of clump together. And in that way, they share nutrients, water, information, like if there's an infestation. And um, I started calling them tree friends because I've really been noticing it. Even going up to Mount Tabor, you'll notice like a little pack of tree friends who are all there supporting one another. And the juniper trees do that same thing. And so there's so many lessons here, you know, about like the pruning and the shedding so that we can continue to grow which many of us have experienced in the context of the last year. And um, the moving and the swirling with the wind to get stronger, right? Um, not resisting it so much and becoming brittle, right? Resistance and brittleness go hand in hand, and that's when breakage happens, right? So there has to be this practice of acceptance. And then what I really have been thinking about is this taproot, Right, this extensive, expansive root system that is going on underground that maybe on the surface you can't see so much, right? but is still there. And of course, because I put everything in the context of um, what we're doing here uh, together as our community, I was thinking, what is this taproot? And it's practice, right? Um, makes me like tear up because I just feel so grateful to have a connection with it. And it's this touching in on something that is larger than us again and again, and that is also us, right? <laughs> again and again. It's this touching in on our beingness and then going out and living life and growing little and touching in on our beingness and then going out into life. And, um, you know, there's been times in my life where I think that I've like lost it many times this year. I've been experiencing like um, sort of extreme anxiety <laughs> due to the multiple. That's the thing about anxiety is that like many times there's a freaking good reason why we're experiencing it. Um, just the multiple things that I've lost in the lawsuit that I'm experiencing by a rich person who has a lot more um, wealth than I do. It causes me a lot of worry for my family, my son, myself, um, and this community, to be quite honest, can we withstand it? And, um, and yet, right, in the midst of it, there's been the practice. And there's this... Um, quote that I heard from Ram Dass that has been resonating in my heart from a talk that he gave long ago, I think in the 70s, and he said, 
the grace of experiencing the possibility of yourself keeps helping you to aim and redirect. Right? The grace of experiencing the possibility of yourself keeps helping you aim and redirect right toward that taproot, toward that largeness that is inside of you and outside of you and in all beings. And he says, you know, sometimes when we leave um, things like this, like yoga church, or when we practice the other day in person, or we have like just a beautiful meditation where we feel so connected and in that space of love, right? That then we go back into our lives and we get road rage or we eat potato chips or we yell at our kids or like whatever happens and we feel like, oh, I lost it, you know? Um, and he says, don't knock it. Right? Because you had the grace of experiencing the possibility of yourself. And that is a big, big deal. And it doesn't mean that we then need to go out into the world and be perfect. In fact, that is a hindrance. Right? So we're going to talk about the, the five hindrances for a moment. The stuff that brings us away from those moments where we touched into the largeness. And remember that the Buddha, when he became enlightened, reached his hand down and asked for the earth, right, like that taproot, to bear witness to his enlightenment. Because it wasn't just enough for him to bear witness to it himself. He needed to touch into that largeness in the same way that the juniper tree does. And, um, and then still, even though the Buddha is enlightened, that the demon Mara comes, right, and the Buddha has to say, yes, okay, come sit down. I see you, Mara, right? That's the classic line. And it's in that I see you, Mara, that the Buddha teaches us about acceptance, right? Acceptance of what's here. And that truly is what liberation is, is being able to be with our humanity in a way that is accepting, right? So we have these five hindrances um, that the Buddha taught. And the first one is desire. And so it's that, clinging right that we have um, like when I was driving away down into the desert and I was just like I think I need to go back I think I need to go back right and it's this sort of like clinging thinking that somehow I'm the all-powerful that has to be here <laughs> controlling it all or else it's all gonna fall apart you know um, which isn't true oh my gosh like people everyone needs a break it's like in um, Hebrew, it's called menuha. Everyone needs a break. Everyone needs to rest, right? It causes us to be more creative, more inspired. I can like feel it in me right now. I just like love practice and what we do together so much. Um, and the second hindrance is resistance, right? Where it's like, oh, I don't want that. I don't want that to happen. A lot of times it's resistance to change, right? Um, and we push, we like kind of like try and manipulate and control and not be, <laughs> um, not uh, have what we don't want to happen happen, right? By thinking that we can control it, which we can't. That's just it, you know? And then there's restlessness that comes up for us, both in our lives and in our practice. And all of these hindrances are interwoven in our lives and our practice, right? So what happens when we sit in meditation? What happens when we go and we practice the yoga asana and listen to the conversation we're having with ourselves? 
that's the same conversation we're probably going to be having with ourselves in life, which is why these tools of mindfulness and yoga practice are useful because it shines the light on it so that we can start to see what's taking us out of love, right? What's causing us to feel separate and other. And that's the, that's, that's what we're doing here. And restlessness, like, oh, I don't have time to do my practice. Oh, I, go, I hate this. I want to get up. Uh, I just feel like I can't sit today. All of that kind of stuff comes up. And sleepiness is another one. Oh, I'm too tired. I'm low energy. I can't do it. Sleepiness in our lives, right? Like not being awake to what's actually happening. Getting in the trance. That's like a big, big one that happens to us. We're moving along and we go through our day and we don't even know what happened, right? And then the last one, this is a big one, doubt. (laughs) Right? Oh, what is this? I don't even, you know, I feel kind of skeptical. Does this mindfulness thing even work? Is asana even, is it worth it, you know? Um, Is this really a liberation practice? Am I, do I feel better? And who are these teachers anyway? Who is this Audra teaching me? (laughs) What does she know? Right? All of those things start to come up. And we have the opportunity with all of these hindrances, like, well, what do we do with all of it? We say, hi, Mara, I see you. Doubt, I see you. And we sit with it and we witness it. Right? And we notice how it shifts and it changes and that no feeling or state or hindrance is final. And that's the liberation practice is that we start to realize how much um, capacity we have to be present with whatever arises. You can do it. Right. And that's like the most amazing thing of all is that any one of us can live a more liberated life, a more free life. We're called free love yoga for a reason, right? Because we want to be free and in love, right? And that's profound. That's a profound um, sort of like prophetic way of living that takes us outside of the trance and wakes us up. And that's the point of all of this right, of everything that we're doing. And so that taproot of the juniper tree, I see really as like all the little tendrils, all the hours, right, all the moments that we have set, even though we felt restless and sleepy, all the moments that we have showed up, even though we've doubted our teacher, um, all of the moments that we've like touched in and put ourselves in the way of a more Um, expansive lens through travel, through sitting with discomfort, through being an intimate relationship with people taking the risk of loving, right? Um, So the inquiry that I would suggest for you all this week is to notice what's off limits for you to feel, right? Because that's usually where we get caught, is that there's something that we are trying to avoid feeling. And so we do all of this other stuff, habitual patterns, habitual patterns, whatever they are for you. For me, judgment is a really big one I work with. Um, And an inability to sit still. I'll just move and do my way through it. 
right? But it is through being with our beingness and staying with the discomfort that the doingness starts to change. And it's little by little the doingness, my loves. So we might have this expansive root system in hours and hours and hours, and the tree might be only this tall. And that's okay, right? Because the, the doingness only changes right through touching in again and again and again on something larger. Um, and I don't know, I hope that you feel excited by that as I do, because I think it's really like the only way, because then it's at that moment that then love becomes action, right? And um, I, I honestly, at this moment, I am lacking some faith, right, in the... Um, ability for us as a collective human society to save ourselves (laughs) and that's just honest like where I'm at um and even that like to me for me to say that to all of you is to admit my own like I don't knowness and my own humanity and be able to be with it in this very generous way you know um I don't know. I remember where I was going that just like a big admission. <laughs> That's okay. Um, oh, I think just that we can accept that too. Right. And understand, I can understand that that is going to shift and move and that my faith will change and that that's all right. You know, that there's no being perfect and that the being perfect is, um, and that striving for it to be a certain way takes us out. Right, takes us out of that largeness that resides inside our inside ourselves. And so the more we can show up and be like, I feel hateful and like upset and jealous and be able to be with those difficult feelings that feel like they're off limits, the more liberated we become, the more free we become, because then they're not running the show. Okay. Um, I wanted to read a poem to you to close by uh, Mary Oliver, who is you know, just the best, pretty much. So here it is. When I am among the trees. When, I'm, when I am among the trees, especially the willows and the honey locust, especially the beech, the oaks, and the pines, they give off such hints of gladness. I would almost say that they save me daily. I am so distant from the hope of myself in which I have goodness and discernment and never hurry through the world, but walk slowly and bow often. Around me, the trees stir in their leaves and call out, stay a while. The light flows from their branches and they call again. It's simple, they say, and you too have come into the world to do this to go easy, to be filled with light, and to shine. Mm. 